0: designed by photographers for photographers. What's up? You are listening to Entrepreneurs, a photography podcast designed to help you manifest your best creative life in self-employment. My name is Mike Lerner and I am your host. And on this show, you're gonna hear practical perspectives on how to improve your freelancing journey. And beyond that, you're gonna hear from other incredible creative professionals about their art, their business, and the lessons that have helped them grow. So thank you so much for joining me. entrepreneurs. starts right now. All right, welcome to Entrepreneurs. My name is Michael Durr. Happy to have you joining me today. If this is your first time tuning into the show, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. We are here to provide you with some insight and first-hand accounts from creatives on how to build a life in photography and self-employment. We have a catalog of 108 episodes already in the chamber. This is episode 109. So please peruse the episodes on your own time and check out any of those to see how we may help you in your journey. Okay, so for today, I wanted to touch on something that I think is very easy to understand, but probably very difficult to course correct. And that is the following statement. Inflation is bad, but lifestyle inflation is worse. All right, so if this is your first time ever hearing the term lifestyle inflation, it simply means, As your income increases, you match it with increasingly higher lifestyle expenses. Big bonus equals better vacation. Higher salary equals more dining out. You get the picture. Now, the problem with that habitual pattern is that if we practice this consistently, we run the risk of not having any money left over for the things that actually inevitably come up in life, right? I'm talking emergencies, repairs, health issues, family additions, retirement, basically just life in general. And what's particularly dangerous about it is that lifestyle inflation usually incorporates very big moves, right? Like regular inflation is spending $5 on a dozen eggs instead of $2. Lifestyle inflation, on the other hand, is when we upgrade our 06 Camry to a brand new $60,000 Tesla, all right? So two very different things. Regular inflation will impact you, but lifestyle inflation can absolutely destroy you. Now, I think there are a few reasons why we invite lifestyle inflation into our lives. And yes, I believe it's a conscious choice that we're making. I don't want to hear anything about, oh, Mike, I didn't even realize what I was doing. It just happened organically. Stop the cap, okay? Everyone knows what they're doing. When you buy things, you know what you're doing. When you buy more things, you know what you're doing. And when you buy more expensive things, you know what you're doing. The only thing is you are justifying the expense. And I'm not really pulling just from anecdotal data here. Go to CNBC, go to Market Watch. go to Forbes. They're all saying the same thing. 63% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck okay? But that's not actually the stat that I want to share with you. What I really want to highlight is that of high earners of six figures, meaning if you make $100,000 or more a year, 51% of them are also living paycheck to paycheck. All right? So what does that tell me? Tells me the more people make, the more people buy. And hell, they could have lied about that stat entirely. They could have padded it by an extra 20% for all I care. If you're telling me that 30% of six-figure earners are living paycheck to paycheck, that to me is still unacceptable. You could have gone 20%, 10%. It's all bad. And before any of you go there, do not give me the, Mike, you don't know how hard it is out here, man. The cost of living is crazy. I can't afford to live. No, listen, I absolutely understand what things cost. I can empathize being in tight spots financially. I've spent most of these episodes on this podcast talking about it, but the root of the problem is not cost of living. It is really our demands for living. Okay? So I'm going to give you a few reasons as to why we give lifestyle inflation such a welcome seat at the table because ultimately it is our choice. And after that, I'm gonna give you a few prompts to combat this if in fact you suffer from these damaging self-narratives, All right? So the first reason I think that we invite lifestyle inflation into our home so welcomely is because we tend to prioritize things that make us happy as opposed to prioritizing things that are actually the best for us. Yes, happiness is important, but in my opinion, it's over-glorified, it's overly prioritized when things like responsibility and duty and prudence Are seen as villains. Life's too short. Carpe diem. YOLO. Queen. These are the mentalities that many of us fall into. And while I do think we should all envision and manifest our own best, rich lives, we shouldn't do so at the constant expense of what really puts us in better position. Besides, happiness is fleeting, anyways, when it's attached to short-term retail therapy. It never sustains for long periods of time. Have you ever noticed that? You know, you might love this new restaurant and the amazing steak dinner that they cook you, but are you still in heaven the next day when you wake up and you're headed to work? Or did you forget about it entirely? The reality is we prioritize what might make us happy over what might help us moving forward. The second reason why we invite lifestyle inflation into our homes is that we feel entitled to it the older that we get, regardless of whether we make more money. All right, so from my perspective, the more we grow up, the more we feel entitled to getting bigger and better things. We could make the same amount of money for 10, 15, 20 years, but the older we get, the more we justify buying the bigger house in the better neighborhoods and sending our kids to the better schools and taking them on the vacations that we didn't get a chance to go on growing up. You ever see someone at the same job who received no promotion, but they treat themselves to their dream car anyways? And here's the kicker. We almost never back down. It takes a very self-aware and disciplined person to do so. The majority of us, we are not downgrading our house. We are not downgrading our car. And we are not taking our kids out of the private school and putting them back into public school. Okay, and maybe those are honorable things to uphold if you want the best for your family. But it still encapsulates a theory that I have long believed, and that is people would rather lose their money than their lifestyle. The third reason why I think we get into lifestyle inflation is that we conflate our income with our net worth. All right. Having a $200,000 income does not mean you have $200,000 net worth automatically. All right. If you make 200 and you spend 200, the person who makes 40 and spends 30 has a higher net worth than you, presuming you don't have any assets. So oftentimes, the higher the income, the greater sense of security. High earners feel safer. More freedom equals more spending. Not always, of course, but oftentimes. Like I said, 51% of six-figure earners are living paycheck to paycheck. 51% is a majority. So when we see our income, we can run into the mistake of thinking we have that much to spend. We don't actually account for all the other aspects of life. So what do we do about lifestyle inflation? Now, I've listened to hundreds of hours of content on people who are in copious amounts of debt, facing the music, going through live financial audits with an expert, only to be flabbergasted and befuddled by the simple yet impossible solution, live below your means. That's it. Really, the tactics can get more granular, but at its core, that is the recipe. Live below your means. Do that and you're going to be fine. But Mike, we just addressed that if we can't change our priorities from happiness to responsibility, and we feel entitled to improving our lives as we age, and we certainly don't want to allow ourselves to go backwards, then what the hell do we do? Well, that is a fair question. And the first thing I would recommend is to develop a healthy relationship with money. And it is a relationship, make no mistake about it, because you are gonna engage with money every day for the rest of your life. So think of it this way. If you're in a relationship with someone that you had to see every day for the rest of your days, what would make that relationship fruitful? Certainly not resentment, certainly not hostility, certainly not avoidance, but that is often how people interact with money. And I challenge anyone who suffers from a bad relationship with money to see it as a partner and not an enemy. All right. Partners respond to attention. They respond to respect. They respond to guidance. They respond to fewer volatile mood swings. Am I right? And you know what's a good indication that you have a good relationship with money? Here's the sign you're still excited about your relationship, even if you don't have much of it. That is a great sign. And it's the best place to start. So if you're broke, and looking at your finances actually excites you, that is a great place to be. Because essentially, when you do your own financial audits, which I recommend that you do, I don't want you to be so boiled up in anger and resentment and hostility that you can't see straight. I want you to be excited about the possibilities of what you and your money can do in the future. The second thing I would advise is to audit out things that do not drive you to your big picture goals, all right? So if your big picture goal is to buy a home, for instance, then cut out the things that move you further away from that goal. So minimize eating out, minimize the impulse shopping, maybe take fewer vacations. If it's not getting you closer to that rich life of yours, then make the sacrifice. And I mentioned the other episode that we spend so much of our time on busy work that actually does not get us any closer to our goals. It doesn't matter how much energy, how much focus, how much attention we spend on those activities, we will be in the exact same position And that is also a common trait with our money habits. If you did a true audit of your spending, you may find that you spend a lot more money towards things that only get you further from your big picture goals. Here's an example. I have a basic goal each year to max out my Roth IRA, which is about $6,000, which is not a whole lot of money, but it's also not a drop in the bucket for me either. That's about $500 a month to set aside. Now, presuming I hit an average year of income, nothing exceptional. How would I hit that goal? It certainly wouldn't be from buying myself a new suit or tinting my car windows for the hell of it, or going buck wild during Black Friday sales on Amazon. All right, I keep that focus on hitting that goal. So when I downgraded my gym membership, that saved me $20 a month, which is $240 for the year. So I could either use that to reallocate to buying myself something shiny, or I could send it to my big picture goal. What do you think I did? I also cut out buying prime cuts of steak from the butcher and went just for choice cuts instead. I stopped buying clothing. I stopped dining out. You get the picture, all in the effort. To fund my big picture goal. Now, the last piece of advice that I'm going to leave you on builds off the last one, which is to focus on big moves and not small moves. Okay. Cutting out lattes, cutting out streaming services, those are great, but focus on the big ones if you're in really bad shape. Ramit Zadie usually references this by saying stop having $10 conversations and start having $10,000 conversations. Don't sweat the weekly bagels, but find ways to manufacture big chunks of money to allocate towards either debt killing or your big picture goals. So if you're in $50,000 worth of debt, get out of that car lease and buy a used one straight cash. Sell the cameras you're not using. Hold the fort on that new iMac. Postpone the trip to Japan. And my favorite one of all, negotiate your rates, right? Have the uncomfortable conversation with your boss on how to increase your salary. I promise you, even if you got a mere $1,000 bonus, that energy spent is way better than cutting out your weekly in-and-out burger and making yourself miserable in the process. Big movers will yield big results. Now to wrap up, I want to reemphasize that first piece of advice one more time. And that is to develop a healthy relationship with money, even if you have none of it. Okay? Because without that, cutting out your expenses, downgrading your cars or your trips is only going to make you resent your situation more. In fact, you're probably just going to avoid it entirely. You'll never audit your finances. You'll never script a game plan. You'll never make moves. And I want you to make big moves, big moves towards big picture goals. Don't sweat the small stuff. Inflation, it's a nuisance. I get it. But lifestyle inflation that you can't afford, that's a disease. So that is going to do it for me today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Please like, subscribe, review the show on your favorite platform. Have a great day, everybody. And I will see you next week. This episode of Entrepreneurs was brought to you by Bay Photo Lab. First-time orders receive 25% off on any professional photo printing product or service. Yes, I said 25%. Just go to bayphoto.com to browse the amazing selection of gifts, prints, and displays. That's bayphoto.com once again. Thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.